0: It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. If you would, turn into your Bibles to Psalms 144, 1 and 2. This has been a, a series I've been working on in men's group for the last three weeks. It's called Preparation for Position. And the Lord's been really dealing with me in my heart about this, especially with everything that we're going through in our church, in our homes. And I had mentioned to pastor, you know, all these attacks that have been coming. And he said, well, bud, you know, pastor goes, well, bud, you're preaching on Psalms 144.1. What'd you expect? (laughs) And so it just kind of made me chuckle. You know, I, I barely, we barely get a glimpse of the warfare that our pastor goes through. And I'm telling you right now, he may not be here, but he is putting in some prayers on his knees for our body and, our, and his church. And I know you're listening, Pastor. We want you to know that we love you. We're under your umbrella of authority. Whatever you say, we do. If you say go, we go. If you say stop, we stop. And we recognize that. And we love you. And we praise you for that. And give God the glory. So turn in your Bibles to Psalms 144, 1 and 2. 144, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I believe that's one of the Royal Rangers um, scriptures that they memorize, which is really interesting that they're teaching them at such a young age about spiritual warfare. And I think it's very important that we learn at a young age on that, because I didn't learn that when I was young. Verse 2 my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. A little backstory on David. David spent his whole childhood, all the way up to he was probably twelve or thirteen, as a as a shepherd boy. David was always out in the field. He was always with the flock. He was always away from his father's house. His father actually didn't even really. Think David was his. He thought his wife had had an affair, and then here comes David was an illegitimate child, and so he really didn't even like David. And a matter of fact, when God sent Samuel to anoint a king from the sons of Jesse, uh, when Samuel went, and Jesse brought in all of his sons except who? Except David. David wasn't even counted in the number. And when God told Samuel, He said, "You know, don't look at the outward appearance." You know, Eliab was, from what I understand, this sharp-looking, tall, broad-chested man, and he looked like he could be fit for a king. But God said, I want you to look at the heart, because I look at the heart. Don't look at outward appearance. And so <clears throat> they went through all the sons of Jesse. And God said, not that one, not that one, not that one. And so Samuel said, hey, well, first of all, don't you think it was very powerful to be in that direct contact with God, where you walk up and you put your hand on somebody and say, okay, Lord, is this the one? And he immediately speaks to you. Could you imagine that? Because that's how I experience God right now when I get myself out of the way. But he went through all seven of Jesse's sons, and he said, do you have another? Because something ain't lining up here. And Jesse said... He wouldn't even call him by name. Jesse said, yes, I have yet the youngest who's in the field as a shepherd. He didn't call him by name, but he called him by his position. And so Samuel said, we will not sit until David comes. He was the only one not invited, but he was the only one who had a standing invitation. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And David came. David was anointed king. Once David had the oil poured on his head, once he was anointed king in front of all of his brothers, in front of his father that didn't like him, in front of God, and, and the prophet had this great, powerful anointing, what did David do? Went back to being a shepherd. Amen? And I, and I always talk about that, but sometimes we get the anointing of God, and when God anoints us for a place or a position, there's still preparation that we have to go through to get to that position. So David went back to being a shepherd until he was ready to be a king. He didn't take the throne for 13 years. And when, you, when God anoints you for something, don't automatically assume, okay, you know what? Uh, God anointed me to be CEO over Facebook, so I'm going to go and tell Mr. Zuckerberg, hey, buddy, you're out. Uh, God said so. The guards ain't going to let me pass the door. You see what I'm getting at? Take your anointing serious, but you've got to have preparation, and that's what the main focus this morning is going to be on. And so, today we're going to really look at at, uh, preparation, and what I'm going to do is a a complete breakdown of Psalms 144, 1 and 2. So David praised the Lord for having subdued the enemies under him. You know, we we know when David came into king, there's a whole... Three or four books of nothing but wars and fights and battles that David went through, and he praised him. And he used several expressions in this praise to God for all the victories that God provided and allowed him to win. The Lord taught him to taught him how to fight. You know, lions and bears, you know, armies and kings. David said, "God is my rock." David said, "God is my fortress." David said, "God is my stronghold. He is my deliverer. God is my shield." And all these stress, the protection and the deliverance that God gave David while he was solidifying the empire under him. And the same God that went before David and paved the way for him is the same God that goes before us. Sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we think, man, that is just absolutely crazy how how God lined things up for people before it even happened but that's the same God he's the same yesterday, today and forevermore his word never changes and the same way he did for them he does for us but sometimes I think we talked about this morning that we get in our own way and we can't see the forest for the trees we don't see, recognize the provision when God brings it and Deuteronomy 31.8 says the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you he will never leave you nor forsake you Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So, what does David mean when he says, Blessed be the Lord my rock? When he says, Blessed, in Hebrew, that word means uh, to kneel, it means an act of adoration. And what David is saying is, Bless you. Thank you, Lord. I acknowledge that you are the reason why I'm here today. And so, my question is when I read that, is when is the last time I just got up and said, You know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I had a bed to sleep on. Thank you that I have three pillows to put under my head. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that my wife doesn't snore. You know, the simple things. She does it, by the way. She says I do, but I, I don't know. I've never heard it. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Um, thank you, God, for the electricity. Thank you that I'm allowed to have air conditioning in my house. When's the last time we just got up and said, Thank you. Lord, despite everything that's in our, in our face, the enemies we're fighting on our left are, are the people that are coming behind us and just said, bless you, God, for who you are. And once I started learning that, and I started waking up in the morning, and my first response to God is not, Lord, give me, give me, give me, but Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, man, my whole life started changing, because you start seeing things in a different perspective, in a different view, when you're thanking God for what he's doing, because it puts his protection and his, his, uh, his comfort right there, right in front of you. And that's exactly what David is saying. He's saying, blessed be the Lord, my rock. Notice he said, the Lord, not a Lord. Notice he said, the Lord, not a Lord. The Alpha, the Omega, that Lord, the beginning and the end, that Lord, the Lord whose name is above every name that Lord. That's who David recognized. There's many gods in the day of David's time, but there was only one true God, and that's who, when he says the Lord, that's who he's recognizing is the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the same Lord that we call upon every day to say, thank you, Father. To say, Lord, heal my wife. Lord, heal my pastor. The Lord is my rock. And when I started, there's so much that could be talked about with a rock and the stone and the cornerstone. You could do an entire sermon series just on the rock. And, but rock means, literally, it means rock. And it also means boulder. The Lord is my rock, or he is my boulder, which means it's unmovable. You just can't walk up to a boulder and move it. David's saying, Lord, you're unmovable in my life. And do we see God as unmovable? Do we see God when we come up to these storms and trials in our life as as an unmovable rock, a God that is there, beginning and end, to see us all the way through? And even when he says no, even when people get sick, God is still unmovable. He's still unchanging. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus, uh, or God, is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And what David is saying is, Lord, You are my rock. You are my boulder. You never change. And isn't that amazing that the God we serve is steadfast, that he's true, that he follows through on his promises, that he doesn't quit, that he never gives up, that he always believes in second chances, that he always believes in third chances. I was the poster child for chances in the Bible. (laughs) Of it, How many chances I've been given through God, through my family, through my church, through my pastor, through my dad, Charlie Goodson. So many chances. And we've got to have that same attitude with other people. We've got to give people chances. We've got to give them time to grow and get their feet under them. We've got to give them time to love and learn how they wore and not how we think they should battle in the spirit. And I want to pause here on this next section because it's very important, and it took me a while on this section. I spent about um, 12 days just on this one word, and it's, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. So we're going to talk about training for a moment. What is training? What is training? Training is the act, action or teaching of a person a particular skill or type of behavior. In other words, training is preparation. How was David trained? David was trained to be a shepherd before he became a king. He was trained to be a servant before he became a king. And we always tend to want to pass up the training part and move, get our anointing and go straight to being a king, but we haven't been trained. Amen? We haven't been trained in the ways of a king. We've only been trained in the ways of a shepherd. But sadly, we don't even get through the training. Sadly, we just give up on the training because the training is the hard part. Being a king is easy. All you just give orders. But getting up to that position, getting up to that place is is the where the training comes in. David was trained to be a shepherd before he became a king. And once we get anointed, we want to jump right in. What David learned as a shepherd prepared him to be a king. David learned how to look after a flock. David learned how to, when one of his flock uh, sheep got away and fell into a crack, David would go find it. David learned how to fight enemies, even though they were animal enemies, four legged beasts. He learned how to fight to protect his flock. If you don't know how to take care of a flock, you're never going to be a king. He learned to use a weapon called the sling. He learned to fight animals who were ravenous and dangerous. He learned to protect his flock against all enemies coming at him. He learned to trust in God. He learned to listen to his voice. You know, David didn't know he was in training to be a king. Not the king, but a king. And I was talking this morning, and I was saying, if you're not already in training, if you're not training for your place, for your position... You're never going to get there. And the thing is, we don't always know what our position is. We don't always know where God is going to set us in place and say, I need you here for this moment in time. But if we're not preparing for it, we're never going to get there. You know what I'm saying? If we're not preparing, the preparation part, the learning. In 1 Samuel 17, we read that Saul put his armor on David, but David couldn't use it. Because he wasn't trained to use it. And we get so busy in life, and I want to come up, because I have an anointing, and I want to come up and get on the keyboard and lead worship. How do you think that's going to go? Huh? It's the same God who gives the anointing, but I wasn't trained to operate a keyboard. I barely know how to spell it. Amen? I don't know what the foot pedal does. My daughter, who's nine, does because of her magnificent training from Miss Betty. Praise the Lord. <laughs> David was not trained to fight like a king yet. Not with the king's armor. What was David trained to fight with? A sling. And so they tried to put Saul's armor on David. And I could just imagine this little young boy, curly hair, dirt all over his face walking up to bring cheese and bread to his brothers because his father, Jesse, said, hey, go take these to your brothers, check on them. I want to see their well-being. And he walks up there, and there's this giant in this valley, Philistines on one side, the army of Saul on the other, and there's this giant out there just violent against God and his people. And David walks up and says, hey, why is he still standing? Why have y'all not killed this guy? And everybody was afraid. Everybody was terrified. Not only were they afraid and terrified, but they asked David, what are you doing here? And that should be a sign to us that when God calls you and sets you apart, sometimes you have to go alone, even when people don't recognize it. If you got to stand by yourself, if you got to go fight an enemy by yourself, you have to go. And I learned that on outreach. I was driving from work one day, and God asked me, he said, do you really... uh, you really want to do outreach? And I said, oh yeah, oh yeah, no doubt, Lord. And he said, would you do it by yourself? And I said, "Uh, yeah, of course I will. And I just passed up a guy on the corner. And he said, okay, go back. I said, whoa. I said, okay, Lord, let's do it. So I made about four U-turns to get back to the guy. I parked my truck and I went out on the corner with this guy by myself and prayed with this guy, encouraged him, and gave him a Christian starter kit, and that's how that really got started. If you can do it alone, you can do it in front of people. If you can serve God with your gift when you're at the bottom, you can serve God with, with your gift when you're at the top. Because if I didn't train by myself, Because I didn't have a teacher to teach me outreach, but if I didn't train to do outreach by myself and learn what to say, what not to say, how to engage with them, trust God and the Holy Spirit to give me the words, then how was I ever going to lead a team to outreach? You know, David trained. He was by himself. All his purpose, all his training that he did was with him, some sheep, some lions, and the Lord. Amen. We can't fight with somebody else's anointing. We cannot fight with somebody else's anointing. If David would have went out to fight Goliath with Saul's armor, Goliath would have took David's head off of his shoulders and fed his carcass to the birds. David didn't know how to fight with armor. He couldn't move. He didn't have the freedom of the Lord. And when we get into somebody else's anointing and try to do their job, we're, we're locked in. We're bound up. We're not working freely. Amen. And David, what did he do? He had to shuck off that armor. I can't do it. That's not how it trained. And what, It's absolutely just when I'm seeing this picture, I'm seeing Saul sitting there. And all these major, these mighty men of war have been fighting their entire life, looking at this little dirty, sheep stinking kid who says, I will go fight this guy. But you know what the difference was? He didn't fight it under Saul's authority or with Saul's armor, he went and fight it under who? God's authority. Quit trying to be somebody you ain't. Use the training that God gave you. I can't do Danny's job. I can't do Danny's position. I'm not an elder. I respect Danny. And when Danny says something, we act. and We move. We get right on it. When the elders speak, we listen. I haven't been trained to be an elder. I can't do that. Somebody below me hasn't been trained to do outreach. We have to use the anointing that God gave us to fight the battles that God gave us with the anointing he intended us to use and not somebody else's because trust me if I get up here and start giving orders like an elder somebody's going to put me down and say hey know your role boy (laughs) huh and it's happened before we all have a place we all have a position but if you're not training for it you're never going to get there Quit trying to be somebody you ain't. Use the training God gave you. And if we could just grab a hold of that, it would revolutionize our walk. We spend so much time in our life trying to use somebody else's gift. We see somebody who's thriving in the ministry. We see somebody who's really good on the keyboard. And all of a sudden, I want to be a keyboardist. And so I'm trying to get Gabe's job and get his position. And that's not what God called me to do. I promise you, worship wouldn't last 10 minutes if I was on the keyboard. And I keep we got to use the gift that God gave us. So what did God train you for today? That's the question. What did God train you for? What are you in training for? You got a passion for souls? You got a passion to teach? Sadly, so many gifts and, and training are rotting away in the pews of America's churches. Because we're trying to be somebody we ain't. David, although he was anointed king, he didn't have the position of king at that time. David was still a shepherd. And he had to fight Goliath like a shepherd. But when David became king, the first thing he did was, what did he do? What does the Bible say he did? He left his flock with another shepherd. And I always go back to that. Because we always say, oh, God told me to come over here and to be in this position. But God's not going to move you out of a position that's going to leave a void over a flock. If you ain't already training your replacement, you're not going anywhere. You can't. God is not going to leave a need for a, a group of people, a flock that doesn't have a shepherd. No leadership, because when the leader's gone, that flock is what? It's vulnerable. vulnerable. It's exposed to the enemy. You're there for a purpose. You're there for a reason. It's okay to move. It's okay to ask God to take you to other places. But you got to bring somebody with you. When David left, he left his flock with another shepherd. So number one, they said, okay, God, I know it's my time to go. And number two, the people you've put me over are safe. And that's how we got to act. That's how we got to roll. What is God training you for? David's training as a shepherd prepared him to be a king. And I want to look at it from two points, this training. I want to look at it from physical training, and I want to look at it from spiritual training. Let's talk about the Olympics. You know, these Olympians, they train their entire life. Their diet is on point. Their exercise is on point. They eat, breathe, and sleep to be the best that they can be at that given moment time when they have their moment, when they're going to be in their position to represent their country, and like Dwayne pointed out, some of those races are determined by fractions of a second. They spent their entire life training for a moment, for one moment. David spent his entire life up to that point in training for one moment, to be in one position 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. So what's the prize? So what's my point, rather? Your training is preparation for a prize, so my question is, what would the prize be if you're training in the Olympics? What are you shooting to get? A gold medal, Right? So the same thing applies to us spiritually. We're training, and our training is preparation for a prize. And what is that prize? What do we want to hear when we get to heaven? What do we want God to say to us? Well done, done, my good and faithful servant. That's the prize that we're seeking on this earth. That's the prize that we're going to live with for eternity. What we don't want to hear is, You wicked and slothful servant, I never knew you. Because there's another race you can run, and it's in the opposite direction of the cross. And I think sometimes we struggle between that. I think sometimes we want to be some part in the world and, and having friends and living with these these people that don't know Christ. And we say we're going to go out and be an example. We're going to go out and win them to the Christ. But yet we convert to them. If you put, uh, if you have a basket of all good apples and you put one bad apple in there, what happens? They're all bad. If you have a bushel of all bad apples and you put one good apple in there, what happens? The good apple goes bad. It's a lose-lose situation. We have to go out here under the authority and direction and guidance of Jesus Christ. And we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what do we need to do in our training, in our preparation to receive that prize? How do we receive that prize to hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant? The Apostle Paul says "In to run in such a way. In other words, Paul is saying run with purpose. Prepare it with purpose. Study with a purpose. When you get up in the morning and you get on your knees, pray with a purpose. Don't let it just be something, you, a checkbox you check off every day. You pray for a reason. You pray for a purpose of, for God to change things, to change the atmosphere. When you wake up in the morning, every demon in hell should say, Oh, my God, they are awake. That is the authority that you have in the name of Jesus Christ. But we don't act like it. Most times we wake up and say, Good Lord, this morning. And we need to say, good morning, Lord, and start using that. Pray with the purpose. We need to love with the purpose. It's one thing to, to love somebody when they're doing what you want them to do. It's an entirely different thing to love somebody when you may be angry at them, when they don't want to listen to you when you've given him all this counsel and you've given her all this counsel and they still go against it. It's hard to love people like that but we have to love with a purpose. We have to love with passion and serve with a purpose. How do we serve today? Do we serve with lip service? Do we say we're gonna do one thing and not follow through with our actions? Does what's coming out of our mouth, does it line up with what we actually do? served with purpose. Amen. When David reached down and grabbed those five smooth stones, he didn't need five rocks to kill Goliath. He didn't need five. How many did he use? One. He placed one in his sling. And in that moment, all the training, all the preparation that David had gone through, all the lonely nights, all the tears that he shed by himself because he was lonely because his family didn't want him, his father didn't love him, the beasts were coming to take his flock, all those fears that he had, and it allowed him to run with a purpose right into the face of Goliath. And with pinpoint accuracy... He released a stone that was heard around the world. And I could just imagine the armies on both sides watching their king, their warrior, their security fall. And then David picking up his sword, taking his head off, and feeding his carcass to the birds. When David was running, he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He ran with purpose. He ran with authority. He ran with power. So here's my question. He trained his whole life for one moment. When you have your moment in life, will you run with purpose? Will you run with purpose? When you, are you training for your moment? You may not know what it is, but are you training for it? And you probably say, oh, that's a silly question. How can you train for something that you don't know? Well, how can you not train for something even though you don't know where you're going? We're to take this word. We're, gonna, we're to put it in our heart every single day. We're to study it. We're to pray over it. Because when you leave out of here, somebody's going to get you at work. Somebody's going to get you on the job site. Somebody's going to give you a phone call and say, you know, I'm thinking about ending my life. Why should I keep it? And what are you going to say? What are you going to say when... when Somebody in your, comes up to you and say, I don't believe in God. Why do you believe in God? Well, the Bible says so. Well, who said the Bible's real? How do we answer that? I know it's hard. I know it's a lot of work. It's a lot of study. But we have to be prepared for everything. We have to be prepared when somebody says, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Can we go? He said, hang on, let me go get (laughs) Daryl. No, we're preparing. Are you preparing for your moment? Are you training for your moment? And I don't want to build that up like it's just one grand moment that you're going to have in your life. Because it's not. We're going to have these moments over and over and over. What David trained with this sling all the way up to he killed Goliath. And it's never recorded that he ever used the sling to kill another giant. Because it wasn't long after that he became king. And he used what? He used a sword. So when you go from a sling to a sword, what happens? New training. New purpose. We have purposes in our life. Some purposes last a week. Some purposes last a year. Some last, last a lifetime. But the point in, the, in all of this is are we training for it? Are you preparing? Are you training for your moment? You wanna, if you want to be a soul winner, you say, oh, God's called me to be a soul winner, and you're sitting on the couch, I would, I would ask, you know, what are you listening to? If you want to be a soul winner, practice. Go where lost souls are at. Yeah, there's some in church, but not Many you want to come to church and be a soul winner, I would question that God told you that. If you want to be a soul winner, get out there where the lost souls are at. Put the training in. Put in the work. Search them out. You want to be a teacher of God's word? Train in it. Breathe in it. Prepare in it. And That's the, one of the first things I learned in this church when I started teaching. is These men of God in that room know some things. And I wasn't going to come in here half-heartedly and try to present the Word of God and then sit there and let me do it. I had to put in the Word. I had to study and I had to pray for God to reveal things to me when I didn't understand it. I had to ask for help. What does this mean? What is that? You want to be a teacher of God's Word? It's what you do at home. It's what you do in preparation that allows you to come and sit behind the desk And present the word in such a way that people can receive it. And it takes humbleness. You want to be a superstar preacher? Are you training for it? Are you training for it? Are you preparing for it? Don't tell me God called you to be a a superstar preacher or a pastor and then only want to preach on Sundays or in the spotlight. If God called you to be a preacher, you're going to preach everywhere. You'll get out on the highways. You'll get out in the byways. Every. You come to, you're going to be preaching the word of God to them because it's a passion, because you're training, you're preparing for it. So, when you have your moment, you can run with purpose. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it was so amazing to me that this giant fish came. And I always keep thinking about this fish. I'm fixing to do a a three-week sermon on Sunday on the animal kingdom. I was telling Gabe about it. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, but I was thinking about this fish, and it takes years and years for these fish to grow giant, to to the size they are that they could swallow a man. So then I realized that God created the fish for a purpose before Jonah was even born. Man, let that sink in for a minute. God created the fish to swallow Jonah before Jonah was even born. And that fish was created for one purpose. And that purpose was that, so that fish could be in a position to fulfill its destiny, which was what? To swallow Jonah. That was the only reason that fish was there. And it didn't just happen to swim by, you know, eating all the crabs off the surface with his mouth open and his crazy man decided to throw this guy over the boat, and he happened to eat this human. He was there for a purpose. He was there for a position. When you have your moment, where you run, you know, when you talk about position and purpose, when I was reading and studying this, I kept getting the image of the cross, and my, my hands kept doing this. In my mind, I was like, What are you telling me, Lord? What are you telling me? He was saying, My son went to the cross for a purpose. And I just almost started weeping because it, it made me realize yes, there was a purpose for that. And there was a purpose he died for people so that we could have everlasting life. There was a purpose that he died for people that will never receive him. David was in position to fulfill a purpose. Jesus was in position to fulfill a purpose. And the same thing applies to us. You have purpose. So you can be in a position for your moment. You have purpose. We all have purpose. Some of us think our our purpose is other things. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. And you can't, understand, and you can't be living in God's purpose if you're sitting at home watching Xbox, or if you're sitting at home watching cable TV. I would argue, I would argue the ones that say, we will die for you, Jesus, are the ones that are sitting down. And if you're spending all afternoon, all evening, every morning, every night sitting behind the TV, I would argue that you're already spiritually dead. So how could you even die for anybody else? You can't fulfill a purpose unless you're training. Oh, I could be wrong. Let me retract. Unless you're training for the Xbox Olympics, you know what I'm saying, or the uh, Housewives Housewives of California marathon. I mean, if that's what you're training for, hey, yeah, let's give it up for y'all. So, what is your position? That's what I want to ask you this morning. What is your position? Do you know what your position is? I'm going to tell you some things that it's not, that your position is not. Your position ain't on the sidelines. Your position ain't on the couch wasting your life away watching the squawk box. Your position ain't in the arms of another person's spouse. The only arms you better be wrapped in is that other than your spouse is in the arms of Jesus. Amen? Now I'm going to tell you a few things that your position is. Your position is to provide for your family. Men, your position is to be present in your children's life. Your position is to be on your knees in prayer before the Lord every single morning, giving him the first fruits of your day, just like Job. Every morning he'd wake up, he'd sacrifice for his children. And although he physically sacrificed, when we get up, we sacrifice spiritually by giving our time in prayer for God's protection. Lead me. Guide me. Show me how to raise my children. Show me how to use their gifts. Have you, do you know what your children's gifts are? If you haven't asked God to show you, so you can pray about them. The gift that my son Matthew has is he's going to be the quarterback for the Texans. Now, I'm just saying. Okay, some things we have to speak into existence, right? Okay? But no, I can tell you my daughter's gift. She likes to organize, she likes to be the boss. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Yeah, and I see that. So now when we do things or or, or I'm doing something in the garage, I'll have my daughter come in and say, Baby, would you organize my tools for me? She gets right on it. And not only does she get on it, at nine years old, she comes and tells me where she put everything. (laughs) Do you know the gifts your children have? Your position is putting on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation, which protects your mind. The breastplate of righteousness, which guards your heart. The belt of truth, which means you're going to walk in all truth, even if you've got to stand alone, even if people reject it. and You will stand with the truth, and you'll shod your feet with the preparation of the readiness of the gospel. There's that word again, prepare. God calls every one of us, go into all the world, preaching, teaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say some of you. He didn't say you who are able. He said go. That means all. And we do that by putting on the sandals of the gospel, the preparation of the gospel. And then we take up the shield of faith. And I explained this morning to the men that some of our our young bucks, shields, are smaller than the older men, than the men who've been through wars, the men who've been through battles. And what I realized When my wife first got sick in 2015 I was a total Chaos in my life And I just had a little bitty shield Of faith I didn't really understand everything I probably should have But it was the men In this church and women who came in And they locked shields Around me And said we're going to be here Through the good times And the bad And without a doubt Without a doubt I can say every man and woman in here has fulfilled their promise to me and my family, without a doubt. <laughs> Sometimes it takes somebody that is, has, has more war experience, more battle experience, to bring us up. That's why when, when the guys that are moving, that are the older guys, and they're moving out of position, they're bringing the younger guys into position so there's always a transition but it takes the people we got to get in with the people that have been through the stuff that understand how to keep a 30 year marriage that understands how to raise a child who's just buck wild and doesn't want to listen to your parents and that's how our shield gets bigger and then we take the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. And one of my best analogies of the sword of the Spirit uh, being the Word of God, not only is it double-edged, when it cuts one person this way, it cuts another the other way. But the analogy I like to use is that the less you know about God's Word, the smaller your sword is. And the smaller your sword, the closer you have to get to fight. Does that make sense? The more you know of God's word, the bigger your sword, and the farther away you can stand and fight your enemies. So you got to get in. You got to know the word. You got to know why you put the armor on every morning. And it's not your armor; it's God's armor. Pastor, he cracks me up. When I first, y'all remember when I was in the uh, entryway out there, and I had like twenty-five pages of notes, and I was like going precept by precept, and I would get to the armor every more, every. night i would say hey did you put on your armor pastor would say god's armor and i would and the next week i'd say did you put on your armor pastor would say god's armor and it finally clicked oh it is god's armor i love my pastor with every fiber in my body amen so where are you at today Where are you at today? Your position is also on the battlefield fighting for truth. And your position is at the altar with your hands lifted high, with praise on your lips, glorifying God for everything he's doing in your life that you can see and that you can't see. Amen? And there is only one other position that we could take. There's only one other position that we could take, and that's the wrong position. And sadly, in the churches across America, we've gotten into a position of laziness. We've gotten into this attitude that says, I'm going to let that guy do it because he seems like he's doing a good job. But what you don't see is that guy that's doing everything is getting wore out. And what God is telling you is to quit being lazy, to get up, to get involved. If this world, if this nation, if, if the Christians would just stand up and say... I'm going to do what God said I'm going to do. Could you imagine the turnaround? Could you imagine how this nation will be flipped right upside down? I heard a story the other day that China is sending missionaries to America. Sadly, it's true. How have we allowed ourselves to get there? How have we allowed ourselves to get to a place that missionaries from other countries are coming to win souls on our streets what does that say about us as men and women of faith regardless of your denomination if you believe in jesus christ you're a christian they got to send refuge they got to send missionaries from another country and you know what that tells me they're preparing for the harvest what are we doing What are we doing? We have gotten into a position of compromise. We compromise on so many things. We compromise on the things we watch on television. We compromise on the things we allow our kids to go do. We compromise on the things we look at on our cell phone. We compromise on the things, oh, you know what? I worked nine hours. I'm going to just go ahead and put 10. Nobody's watching. We compromise with our spouse. We allow things to happen Oh, it's just a text. It's just a conversation. It doesn't mean anything. We compromise. Are you prepared for your position? If the position you're fighting for today doesn't involve lifting others above you, you're fighting the wrong position. Everything we do as men and women of Christ Points a direct, needs to be a direct path to the cross. But it, we have to lift people up. We have to be building people up. And we have to get into a place with our attitude that says, you know what? If I got to train somebody and then God puts them above me, amen. 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 Praise God. We got <clears> to <throat> learn to use, be in our position where we're at now. Thrive in your position, thrive with your anointing. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? If God called you upon, upon you this afternoon to be in a position for a specific reason, are you ready? Are you ready for that purpose? Are you ready for that purpose? Um, <clears throat> Psalms 144 verse 2 says, My loving kindness. And my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Loving kindness is—it means favor, it means good deeds, it means God's kindness to us and for us. And He shows it to us through His love. He throws it, shows it to us through His grace. He shows it through us, through giving us peace in our life, prosperity. And and it's so amazing to me the things that we receive from God. We struggle so hard to give back out. So much time, many times, God has forgiven me and showed His kindness, His loving kindness upon me, and I can't even have enough patience for my brother. David says, "You are my fortress, Lord, my fortress." And what David is saying is, "You are my defense. You are my stronghold. You are my strong place." In Second Samuel 22, David says, The Lord is my rock and my refuge and my deliverer, the God of my strength, and whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. fortress is a stronghold. We had a great conversation this morning about a fortress. A fortress keeps the enemy out. But sometimes it keeps us in. Because don't we sometimes get in a position that we need to be saved from ourselves? Don't we sometimes get in a position where we need help from our own addictions that we willingly participate in? Don't we sometimes need help from our own mind, from our own vain imaginations, from the way we see things, from the way we treat other people. That fortress, if you're in the fortress, it means that you're in God, that nobody can get in, nobody can get out. And David said, you are my high tower. And when I was talking, we were talking about that fortress and it's just so powerful that God would make a place that we could go, that we could find rest. That we could have a time of peace. That no matter what is raging around us, what battle, what war we're going through at this given time, what sickness we have, that we can be in God's fortress and rest in peace knowing that he's got us. David said, you are my high tower. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. And are saved. And what David is saying is that in the midst of my battles, when my chaos is all around me, and all my addictions that are suffocating me, when sickness has consumed my body, I will call on the name that is above every name. I will call on the name of my high tower, and I will run to it. And the reason I can run to it. Because it doesn't matter if I'm on the battlefield swinging my double-edged sword in the name of Jesus Christ, or if I'm laying down on the battlefield licking my wounds, crying and moaning, I can look up and see that tower that I run to. I can see it. And just like Peter, when he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me, the winds and the waves, represent chaos, represent storms in your life. And Jesus reached out and saved him. And we too cry out to God whose name is a high tower. And, in, and at the mention of his name, he comes to us. And he wraps his arms around us. And he creates this fortress, this tower over us to protect us, to get us through some things, to deliver us from our enemies to deliver me from my addictions, to deliver me from my sickness. You know, one touch from the hem of his garment and the woman with the issue of blood was instantly healed. He felt the power leave. One touch from his hands to the eyes of the blind man and he was healed instantly. One touch from the hands of Jesus and the the man with the withered hand, his hand was made whole. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He is my strong tower. At the sound of his voice, the wind has to listen. The waves have to cease. They have to stop raging. There is power in his name. At the sound of his voice, a dead man's spirit came rushing back from heaven into his body. He was given life again. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I shared in men's group this morning. I finally realized why God, why Jesus called him by name. Because had he just said, come forth, every grave from creation beginning would have exploded with new life, with humans coming back to life, that he's got that much power. And we don't think he can control our situation, we don't think he can come in and, and help me. The sound of his voice. There is power in his name. David said, Lord, you are my shield. How is God our shield? What is the purpose of a shield? A shield is a piece of of personal armor. It's held in your hand and it's strapped to the forearm And it's used to intercept specific attacks. It's used to intercept darts that are thrown at you. It's used to intercept the spears from the enemy that's coming and being thrown at you. And it's meant to be an active shield. The shield is not something you put stationary and then you hide behind it because your left isn't covered. Your back isn't covered. Your right isn't covered. You can only block the things that are coming at you. That's why you wear it on your arm. Because if the, if the enemy's throwing darts on my left, I turn. It's a shield of faith. I turn and I put works behind my faith. I don't have faith because of works. I put works behind my faith. And that shield is meant to be moved. And the only time our shields are ever meant to be stationary is when we come together as a body, as a church, as a group of believers, and we lock shields together and put the wounded and the hurt in the middle. And that's when we lock together. And that's where that fortress comes in. Where is my fortress? See, God uses other people in our lives every single day to lead us, to guide us, to help us, to perform miracles for us. Ephesians 6, 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. David is saying, you are my shield. You are my protector. You defend me. You keep me safe, Lord. These shields were never meant to be stationary, guys. We've got to use them. We've got to use them. David said, it's you, Lord, in whom I take refuge and we do the same we do the same we take refuge in the Lord we find him in a place of rest and it doesn't matter what we're going through look we go through things everything that we do is going to be tested by fire every time you want to advance in the kingdom you're going to meet resistance Every time you want to make a move within the body, you're going to meet resistance. Because yes, God is there. And yes, God has showed up. But guess who else shows up? The enemy. But guess what? Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. So he may show up, but he can't show out unless God gives him permission. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at likechristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.